Hello and welcome to Think Like an Owner. At the start of episodes, we are having brief two-minute Q&A sessions with our sponsors on all things banking, accounting, insurance, due diligence, and more, all in an effort to share helpful tips and knowledge with listeners. Today, we're starting with a Q&A with Heather Anderson from Live Oak Bank. So do I need personal assets or liquidity to take an SBA loan? No, you don't. So some SBA lenders actually do require collateral for their loans. But as a cash flow lender, Live Oak Bank does not require that. So whether you don't have personal real estate or a certain amount of personal liquidity or the business has just got assets alone and no actual hard collateral, that's okay per SBA rules. And, and that's okay with Live Oak's underwriting criteria as well. When it comes to having personal assets, there is an SBA rule requiring them to be pledged under certain circumstances, but not having them is not a problem. It's also not an issue to not have a significant amount of personal liquidity because uh, you can use investors for your equity requirement for some or all of it. And uh, we don't look to you, uh, your personal balance sheet to provide backup liquidity for operating the company. The reason we don't do that is that we actually provide a line of credit at closing for every acquisition deal. And the line of credit is available immediately after close to provide for those liquidity needs that the business might have. To learn more about Live Oak Bank's search fund lending, you'll find Lisa and Heather on Live Oak's search fund landing page and find links to resources, FAQs, podcasts, and links to their office hours. I also want to thank our other sponsors, Hood and Strong and Oberly Risk Strategies. And now to the episode. Hello, welcome everyone. I'm Alex Bridgman, and this is Think Like an Owner. This show seeks out conversations with business owners and private investors to learn how to acquire and run small companies, with a special focus on search funds, micro private equity, and small company operations. You can learn more at alexbridgman.com slash podcast and follow me on Twitter at A.E. Bridgman. And if you like the show, please leave a review and tell a friend to help more folks find Think Like an Owner. I'm also the founder of The Operator's Handbook, a quarterly print publication where small company operators share their insights and ideas for building more effective and profitable companies. Articles focus on process improvement, sales, hiring and training, managing culture, and all responsibilities within operating a small company. If you run a small company today and are looking for new ways to grow and improve, Subscribe today and join your peers in the endless pursuit of better at theoperatorshandbook.com. My guest in this episode is Sam Schepler. Sam is the founder of Testimonial Hero, a company he bootstrapped that helps companies create more effective video customer testimonials. Sam and I spend much of the episode talking about how to create great testimonials for your company and what the driving reasons are for using video over text or other mediums. In addition to being focused on a really interesting part of a sales process, Testimonial Hero itself is an interesting case study at what a bootstrap services company grows into over time. Over the course of the episode, we talk about hiring a great team, using software and technology in your business to automate processes, and we spend some time near the end discussing time management and productivity. Enjoy. How do you think about investing in yourself or professional events or conferences like Capital Camp or courses for yourself, books? Do you have kind of a a mental model for every year investing some amount of time, money, or resources into bettering yourself? It's a great question. So first and foremost, to the extent possible, I like to practice kind of just-in-time learning, right? So like 
it's very easy to go and learn a ton of things, but it can also, it can just be like a mode of procrastination, right? On one hand. So uh, to the extent possible, I really try to solve the problem that's like just a little bit ahead of me with whatever I'm trying to learn. And that's kind of how I think about that. This year specifically, I'm also thinking a lot more about health. So I'm investing a lot in in that because at the end of the day, like in, having kids this year, my wife and I had, had our first kid and that I think especially, uh, I'm 32 and that sort of especially like is a great, makes you think a lot. You want to be around for your kids and I'm just like, all right, like I've been burning the candle, growing my business the past couple of years, like let's. I wouldn't say like I, you know, com- have completely I've neglected my health, but it's definitely like on the back burner, right? As you're a little bit as you're scaling business, but at the end of the day, your health is is really all you have. So that's I would say like the biggest thing when I think about investing in myself is one making sure I'm solving like just in time things on like the business side, and two, well, also thinking about the the tactical as well as the strategic stuff. And often some of the best investments in yourself or are actually things that kind of get you, force you to think bigger or can get you to shift your mindset because and it's very, it, it, it's because that, that is, is so critical. Like the difference between people that are extremely successful and people that are like moderately successful is, is usually just that people who are extremely successful had, they thought bigger. They probably worked just as hard, but they had they basically just thought bigger and had a little bit bigger strategy. So any any sort of you know program or mentorship that can or just investing time talking to people that are a couple steps ahead of you, that is is incredibly incredibly valuable. And then as I said, the health and fitness. If you don't have your health, like you, you don't really have anything. And it's just I think that's something we've all realized this year in in 2021, last year in 2021, especially. And so that's kind of how I'm thinking about investing in myself uh, this year. I like that, especially the thinking bigger piece. That was a big one for me last year. Um, I know going to Capital Camp was a big exposure into other entrepreneurs and investors who have spent their career thinking much bigger than than I do. And so it's, it's almost this forcing mechanism where like, okay, like take take whatever I'm doing and then what is the, the 10x version of what I'm doing? And is that something I'm interested in or would want to pursue? I'd be curious, especially on the health side, but also just the learning side generally. What are some of the biggest changes you've made in your day-to-day or week-to-week routine as opposed to maybe a few years ago where health and fitness and other stuff were on the, more on the back burner for you? Well, first and foremost, for the thinking bigger thing, there's a great quote. I think it's by Dan Sullivan. And, and it's, if you're having trouble thinking bigger, try thinking longer, as in like longer term. So like. There's no like unreasonable goals. There's just unreasonable deadlines, right? So that I think is extremely helpful in just extending the timeline that, that you're thinking about, right? In terms of health, I mean, I think it's really just hiring professionals, right? Like having, hiring a coach, hiring a personal trainer. I mean, I have an executive coach for my business. I have, I've worked with many coaches for specific, you know, areas of the business, whether it's like sales finance, marketing, like over advisors over the course of the business. And then it's the same with like your 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 health and your fitness, right? So ultimately the if you want to make a change, the one of the best things to do is work with someone who's, you know, going to 
you know, hold you accountable, give you a winning strategy, and make sure you execute on that. What are some learnings you've had from working with with coaches as you've grown Testimonial Hero? Well, I think one of them is is be careful with the coaches that you work with <laughs> because it's it's one thing to to waste money. That's not even the, the worst thing, but to waste your time and that that's far worse, right? So there's great coaches, but they may not be great coaches for you. There's so many uh, coaches out there who have great experience, but it may not be, for example, selling to your target market, right? So in general, my philosophy is find someone who is where you want to be in three or four years and learn from them, even if they're not like advertising themselves as a coach. Build a relationship, offer to pay them for for buy a block of calls for them from them, right? Like maybe maybe they can do that. Maybe they can't, but in general, yeah, it's learn from people who are who have are exactly you know where you want to be. And also to appreciate that every market is different. And especially when we're talking about like selling into a different market, if you're trying to learn, if your coach is like had made a hundred million dollars doing internet marketing and they're selling to and that type of sale is basically to like a a small business owner, which is almost like effectively like a SMB or effectively like a B2C sale. And you're building a company that you're selling to like a buying panel of enterprise buyers, they're gonna give you really good advice, but it's not gonna really work in, in your situation. So yeah, it's just like you you really want to make sure you're 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 following in the footsteps of like the most in extremely specific to like where you want to end up. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Can you talk a little bit about how you've built Testimonial Hero and what the early days looked like and kind of the evolution of your company over time? So the, the early days, we were really focused on just finding a better way to uh, create B two B customer testimonials and make. And really focused on making highest quality uh, customer testimonial videos effortless, because video testimonials, especially for really high consideration sales, like m- most of our customers are and have always been software companies with significant average contract values. In a high consideration sale like that, social proof and trust is is especially important, and having a real customer on video goes a lot further than just having a couple pull quotes, right? So we, and at that time, it was just me. Basically, I had uh, domain expertise in this area. I had previously you know, worked in video production, ran a more generalist video production agency. So I knew this was you know, a problem and an opportunity that could be disrupted. It was also something that I was really passionate about because I I really believe that the last decade, the previous, you know, 10 years have uh, of marketing have been more about persuasion, but the next 10 years of marketing are going to be way more about trust. So, just from a values in uh, perspective, I really resonate with the power of putting real customers on camera and bringing their stories to life and so it's really the culmination of, of all those things, the opportunity in the marketplace, something I was interested in, 
had domain expertise as well. And from then, we just kind of thought of like, okay, like, well, how would we solve this problem in in a more kind of current and, and modern way that you know we think is better for the customer? What research have you found, either research you've done yourself or read otherwise, have you found on the comparison and in effectiveness on written testimonials, either it's a, a poll quote or it's a embedded Google review or something like that versus something more interactive like video? What are, What's some of the findings on effectiveness between those different mediums? So first and foremost, I think you want to think of it at like the basically like the biological level. And there's a lot of you know studies that have been done with, uh, and I don't have them in front of me, but you know, if, if you Google like video effectiveness stats, th- there's so much out there around how as humans, like we, we're evolved to read trust cues and, and micro expressions from people's faces to determine, you know, if we can trust them or not, basically. So we're hardwired when when we see a face that is way more engaging than just looking at some text. And then the other thing is like these days, like if it's just a pull quote, like outside of even the studies, like the comments, we all know that like there's no there's no guarantee that that person even said that, and and maybe they signed off on it, and that that's one thing. But just the fact that someone is willing to go on camera for your brand. That's a whole nother level of, you know, trust right there, even independent of, of the content. Because people don't, you know, agree to a commitment like a video testimonial if they don't like really, really believe and support your company versus like signing off on, on a pull quote, you know, sure, it's like whatever people do that all the time. But if you have a video testimonial from HubSpot or, you know, a legitimate company, the credibility just like objectively is just just way more credibility. What types of companies are best suited to have video testimonials of customers versus some other form of testimonial? Like which companies that you see most often maybe not having videos should have video in your opinion? So really the... Even to just roll back on that question, it's less about the tactical video versus non-video in it. And it's almost more about thinking, first and foremost, about like your your customer content strategy, because content that's that's coming from customers, that's anything that your customers say, you know, is general is going to be uh, received, and with just it's going to be so much more powerful. So you you might not be able to get video testimonial from all your customers, and you may not. And in, in some, you know, areas of the funnel, you, you might just want, you don't need like a long 90 second testimonial. You might just need a 30 second clip of a customer answering a specific QFD, question, fear, or doubt that the buyer has at that point in the sales cycle. So like the reality uh, is like, it's a, a, it, it's a little bit more nuanced in, in what, what the best marketers are thinking is like, first of all, what are our strategic initiatives? And where can we use customer voice and inject it in our marketing to really, you know, fill any any gaps there? And is it, it it's probably not just going to be one monolithic uh, video testimonial. 
It's going to be like a whole customer video strategy because buyers want to know different things throughout the buyer journey. People in the beginning, they probably aren't even aware that they have a problem. So like the same piece of customer video that's going to work later on in the buyer journey is very different than what people want to to know first and foremost. But all of that being said, to kind of answer the, the question as asked, anything that has like that's a high consideration purchase is especially going to lend itself to investing in in, in a customer video. Uh, because otherwise, if it's if it's just something like I don't need to I don't really need a, a customer video to like buy a toothbrush necessarily. Like I'm it's just like a commodity or a, yeah, it's basically like a commodity uh, purchase, right? Like, you know, I just get whatever. I, I really don't care. I have no like loyalty. But if I'm like, say, we primarily work with B two B, you know, companies, mostly B two B software companies. But even on the B two B side or B two C side, it's like if someone's deciding between their Nordic Track bike and their Peloton, it's like that's another great example of like high high consideration purchase that you can absolutely leverage uh, customer story in in terms of the larger content strategy. If someone doesn't have a content strategy or video, they have neither, should they try to start with both at the same time or build up a content strategy first and then introduce video testimonials or flip that back and forth? I mean, at the end of the day, if you don't have any video testimonials, anything's going to help, right? But the more... Just like anything, the more strategic you can be, you're only going to see better results. So like, if you don't need to overcomplicate it, but hopefully, and this is something that we occasionally help people with, but to be honest, like our clients are very, our clients are awesome. Like they're really strategic. So most of the time it's already figured out. But like, basically, the simplest thing is like, get testimonials that are similar to your ideal customer profile, all right? Like if you're trying to attract a certain type of customer, find a persona in your existing customer base that aligns with that, right? And that's what you want to focus your resources on. Did you always start with video testimonials as your product at Testimonial Hero or did it evolve from something else? Yeah, well, always focused on video testimonials from the start. That is, in video is for sure my background and I'm a big fan of if you're going to start a business like you have to you have to have an edge for sure video is one of my biggest edges so in the, from the start like I basically look at opportunities like if, if I don't think we I can you know build the category leading business in that category I'm probably not going to be excited to go after that opportunity and yeah I I, I I knew that we could build the category leading video testimonial creation service. So from the start, I was always that was always the vision. So how did you start Testimonial Hero? Was it bootstrapped or did you raise money at some point or what's been your kind of journey as a founder? We're a 100% bootstrapped company. And because we are, you know, a tech enabled service, so we have a services component to our to our business, right? So as long as you have a services component and you you're really I mean, well, the great thing about having a services component is it becomes you know relatively easy to to, to bootstrap because you don't have these huge 
development costs or any any expenses, right? You just you, you sell it and then you produce it and then you you have you know you just kind of keep doing that, right? So that's just what we did. Although one thing I will say is like the more you can get paid upfront or like have the better payment terms, like that is super key. Like cash flow is everything. And like most of our I mean that 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 made made a difference for sure. And like as we become a more and increasingly tech enabled, we're we're not like uh, a pure software company whatsoever, but we're becoming increasingly tech enabled. And the fact that we have all this like the service layer, that is just we're constantly just making money, and, and we have the funds to to deploy because of that that services. So like the short answer is we were able to do it relatively easy because uh, we're not you know a pure um, software company with that would require like a huge upfront investment or a manufacturing company that would you know require that huge upfront investment was there a tipping point at one stage of your business where things seemed to to grow a little bit faster maybe a key customer or you, you made a key hire at a position did something happen at some point early on i would i would say you know, the tipping point for sure for us was when you know we when I started hiring great folks and stopped trying to do everything myself. At the end of the day, people are everything. And I think we got really lucky um, with finding some amazing, amazing people very early on. And then either I was overwhelmed uh, and I stepped out of the way and just, and a bit of, and also just honestly, I just trusted them and, and I stepped out of the way and kind of just trusted them to, to let them to do what I hired them for. Right. And when you, when you find great people and you trust them and you don't micromanage them, that is what, you know, kind of unleashes the floodgates and, and in terms of, at least in, in this type of business, um, really for, for all businesses, but especially in a, service-based um, B2B services business. What did your day as a CEO look like in year one or two versus today? Well, year one or two, obviously I was the CEO, but year one in up to year one and a half, it was really just me, right? So I was doing everything. I was doing obviously the, the sales I was doing, a lot of the you know client management, paying bills, literally some of the editing. Although we did you know have some contractors on the editing side then, but a lot of the editing, project managing the contractors. So so basically complete chaos <laughs> in the early days, as it should be, and that, that's just the reality, right? But basically, I for the first kind of year and a half, I really just kind of. Worked super hard, built up a war chest of, of capital, and because of that, and then I was able to actually invest, you know, in a couple, you know, key employees early on, and and then yeah, I would say now my well, I did just uh, bring on promote one of my team members to general manager as well. So so I think that has right now my kind of day is kind of navigating that transition and kind of that that's a new thing for me and kind of figuring out how we can best make that relationship really successful and 
making sure that I am trusting him and I'm giving him enough guidance, but not stepping on his toes either, right? And and then once this is only we're about two weeks into that right now. So really focus just on that at the moment. And then as soon as we are feeling great about that, which I'm sure we will be, then the question for me is really like, okay, what's the next sort of high point of leverage to attack? What's the next point of constraint that we can remove that's going to help us and you know, get to the next level? And likely it'll be around more content creation, more more media stuff, and then recruiting always in terms of our, our growth goals. So I would say it's really going to be around those two things, uh, content and, and recruiting. Was there a moment that told you in the last year or two that you needed to hire a general manager where you just had too much stuff going on and you needed to have someone else handle some of that load for you? Was there was there a specific moment you can remember or something that happened that really made that switch happen in your mind? Not, not exactly because the reason um, behind doing it is actually more strategic versus like a lifestyle. Although I think the lifestyle... It, is benefits, you know, could be nice. But the reason to do it is actually uh, like our, our big vision, it, it, bigger than Testimonial Hero, is actually that Testimonial Hero is just one company in a, in a portfolio of tech enabled services that we're building. And with the, my GM, Kevin, running Testimonial Hero, that's going to free me up to think about other tech enabled video marketing services that we can start in within that portfolio. And then the, the grand vi- the, the next division is to really build a portfolio of, of category leading video marketing services. There's a first round review article a little while ago talking about the CEO's tracking of their time using their calendar and then a few other like browser plugins and stuff just to see where they were spending time in their business, whether it was on recruiting or strategy or meetings internal communications, all this other stuff, admin. And it gave them this, it's kind of spit out these different numbers on where they were spending their time. And also they, before doing all that though, they wanted to make sure, they wanted to like test and see, okay, where do I think I'm spending my time? And then where am I under or over investing? Do you have any sort of internal system like that where you track how you spend your time? And if there's an area of your business that you've been over or under investing in, is there some system like that that you've developed over time just for yourself? Honestly, I love that. I, I might start doing it. I don't currently do it right now. I So I use as my kind of personal productivity system slash philosophy. I'm a big fan of uh, Kanban, which the basics of Kanban is it's, you know, just a card based system and you have a couple columns, you know, one of them is what you're you know, working on and you have to limit your work in progress to usually like whatever you set. So I, I set like three things max. And then you have your backlog and your, your someday maybe on the left. And so it's like someday maybe priority is like near future and then like in progress and like done. So like I will occasionally kind of audit and I'll tag my, my tasks in different categories and you know, make make an audit, uh, and I just use Trello for this. It's a good card based thing, obviously. So yeah, from 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 that perspective, I can get some visibility into what I'm focusing on. But I'm not currently using any like crazy like time tracking. I might 
do it again. And I like the idea. I'll have to check out that article, but no, not, not currently. Yeah, I'll send you that article. It was pretty interesting. Moving into some closing questions, what college class would you teach if it could be about any subject you wanted? I would probably say, I mean, I would love a class on scaling B2B services, scaling tech-enabled services. What do you think the curriculum would look like? First, it would really be about finding your edge, picking which idea are you going to do, what, what's the combination of like what your edges, the market need, you know, what you actually like, and then moving on to you know, go to market and then scaling and, and everything in between, fulfillment, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. Gotcha. I like it. What strongly held belief have you changed your mind on? I think for a long time, I thought that I would just build a services business. Basically, I was like, oh, I'll just build this because I don't, you know, have a software idea at the moment, right? And I, but at the stage that we've scaled to and like how happy I am and how much fun I'm having and, you know, how profitable the business is, like, I think I've changed my mind in that that services and especially when you tech enable them can be just you know fantastic businesses in their own right. So I think I, I've changed my mind that you know services don't have to just be like the temporary thing. They they can absolutely be the main thing if you do them right. What's the best business you've ever seen? Gumroad, I think actually um, might have to be the best business I've ever seen. They don't have any meetings, and the founder and CEO Sahil Lavinia, he spends like just like a couple hours a day, maybe you know working on the business, no meetings, and then he's like obsessed with you know figure drawing and painting at the moment. So he's he just like goes and like goes to figure drawing classes, uh, and they're extremely successful business, obviously. Uh, so I I think I have a lot of respect for him and what he's doing, like doing things a little bit differently. And and also doing doing incredible things, uh, incredible hobbies. Like he's an incredibly talented artist, and really making time for that while running a great business. It seems like it's one of those things where it's really hard to do from the get go, just because your business probably either doesn't exist or is too small, or you can't just work a few hours and then go go paint. Like you have to get to a certain scale, but it's very aspirational in terms of like here's where I want to be in the future. And then it kind of it almost outlines like okay if I if I want to only spend four hours and have no meetings I need to somehow get rid of meetings like how do I do that how do I build a team that can work without me needing to be present at a certain time to communicate with them or something else so I, I find it I find it hard to like get to that point but it's aspirational in terms of directionally where you want to go as a as a CEO in terms of managing your time is there a part of Gum Road that you've tried to emulate, maybe more specifically, like perhaps no meetings or some other. If I remember right, I know he has employees who I think most of his team doesn't work full time. I think most of them work only 20 hours, maybe 30 hours at most, or something like that. I could, I could be mixing that with someone else, but I, I remember that he didn't have many full time employees and he talked about potentially going full time for many folks, and a lot of folks didn't want to. And so there's, there's a lot of really Gumroad's a really interesting example because there's just, just tons of like internal culture examples within that business to try to learn lessons from. But what sorts of things from Gumroad do you think you've tried to to take on to your own business the most? Well, for one, I think I'm rearranging my schedule. So other than 
this we're recording this on a Tuesday, but I think in like two weeks, Monday and Tuesday, or Mondays and Tuesdays are going to be completely free of meetings. Once I kind of back cycle off things that were, were, of course, already scheduled, right? So, so that's exciting. But honestly, the thing that we haven't personally done a ton from from Gram Road yet. We, we do all of our people are full time in in general, and we like that, and they like that. But what honestly most impresses me about Sahil is really that he sort of you know conquered the need to just like keep growing it more, right? Like obviously, like he could grow the business more if he didn't spend six hours a week doing his drawing and art and or whatever. But like, it's actually very hard, at least I think for a lot of founders, myself included, to like give themselves permission to do things that don't have direct, you know, business benefits, essentially, right? So that is what I'm most impressed about with him is like, he, he can do that and like, have hobbies and have like, no, like, just be cool with it and like, not feel like he is making some sort of trade off where like, oh, man, like he could have added like, a million, an extra couple million, you know, in, in enterprise value if he, if he wasn't doing this, right? So I think just like enough is one of the hardest things to have, right? And, and we all think that we're going to be sort of happy like when we have like, oh, just got to get like to this next goalpost. But then inevitably we keep moving the goalpost, right? It's just that it's like one of the challenges, right? Of, of human nature, I think, with a lot of high achieving type A folks. And and I think, I mean, that honestly, I admire. It's something that I'm, you know, working on and just being more kind of content and appreciative of, of what, what, what I have, you know, what we all have. And, and, I, and I admire him a lot for that, seemingly, at least from the outside. He seems like he's found a really good balance there. It certainly seems like it. There's a similar article by Dan Shipper about Andrew Wilkinson, the CEO of No. It's, it was on, it's from his newsletter, but there was a, product hunt reposting of it recently. If you read that by chance, it talks about him trying to remove really similar ideas like removing meetings and allowing time for tennis and walking around and playing with his kids, that sort of thing. Have you read something like that? I'll send it to you if not. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I have read it. It's a, it's a great article. I haven't read it in a couple... I, I, I've read it when it was published. But yeah, definitely. That's a great reminder. Got to check it out. Also, honestly, Andrew Wilkinson, He, I love what he's doing at Tiny and Draw, get a lot of inspiration for the future and thinking big from looking at what he's done. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for coming on the podcast. This has been really great to have you and to chat all about video testimonials, growing your bootstrap business, and a little bit of productivity chat at the end here. So this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Alex. Uh, my pleasure. And if anyone you know wants to get in touch, really good way to reach me is just through Twitter. I tweet about all, all these topics that we're talking about, especially kind of productivity and entrepreneurship stuff. Just uh, Sam Shepler on Twitter. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review and telling a friend to help more folks find Think Like an Owner. I also want to thank our show's sponsors, Live Oak Bank, Hood and & Strong, and Oberly for their support. For full episode transcripts and more information, please visit our website at alexbridgman.com slash podcast. And if you want to learn more about the Operator's Handbook, please visit us at theoperatorshandbook.com and join your peers in the endless pursuit of better. 